For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister is now a Democrat. Hoffmeister made the move late last week in order to challenge Governor Stitt as a Democrat. Hoffmeister joins a growing list of candidates from the left and the right hoping to stop Stitt's re-election next year. Neva, what has been the reaction from the Republican Party over Hoffmeister's defection? Well, I think obviously there's always surprise when you have a statewide official that uh, up and jumps jump ship uh, to the other party. So um, she obviously was term limited. Um, there had been a lot of conversation. We've even talked on this show for a number of months that uh, there was speculation that she was thinking about challenging the governor. But at that point, it was as a Republican and in a Republican primary. So this takes on a whole different uh, slant. It's clear that uh, she kind of came out of the shoot swinging. I mean, trying to uh, say that she really wasn't changing who she was. Uh, that That's going to be an interesting sell, both to, I think, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, uh, party switches are tough uh, in any environment. But in this political environment, I think taking on the governor um, and, you know, trying to build this case that he's been divisive and partisan, which were kind of the words that she um, that she described in her announcement. Uh, we'll just see if that if that gets traction. I mean, she she made some interesting comments uh, this week during all of this announcement about the fact that uh, she had voted for Drew Edmondson, not uh, Kevin Stitt at, mm. in the uh, in the last election. Again, uh, probably trying to build her Democrat bona fides mm. with, uh, you know, with that statement. But uh, just uh, again, kind of separating the water with Republicans. The fact that uh, uh, that we see this kind of new landscape, I think, speaks to the fact that with only 36 weeks left to till the uh, June 28th primary next year, it's uh, it it's kind of game on for everyone. So if other folks are looking to get in in any of these races, I think we're going to see a lot of activity here in the next 30 days. Ryan. Well, you know, there are definitely some Democrats that have, uh, you know, taken to their, their favorite platform, Twitter, to express their disdain uh, of Joy Hoffmeister coming over to the Democratic Party. Um, but I think that the that's that's probably a small uh, minority of Democrats uh, that are I mean, and let's let's be clear right now that the folks that are really paying attention are your political insiders, mm -hmm. your donor class, um, your elected officials. You know, voters really haven't tuned in to this 2022 gubernatorial election just yet. Um, and so, you know, you, you've got, you know, kind of the, the chattering class, you know, saying what they will. But I think most Democrats welcome this uh, as an opportunity to uh, have a candidate that will potentially upset uh, some of the, you know, the, the, the more rigid political rules that Oklahoma has been governed by uh, for the last, you know, couple of decades almost. You know, the, the last Democrat that was elected governor is Brad Henry. Uh, and, and frankly, of all of the campaigns that have been run since him, uh, even with, you know, incredible candidates, you know, Drew Edmonds and Jerry Askins, they haven't been able to get close. And so um, Joy Hoffmeister, I think, saw her ability to be able to run in a Republican primary is limited. Um, mm -hmm. I think that she has a, a message that she wants to deliver to voters. And, you know, I think the reality is, is that there's no way that she could make it out of a Republican primary in a statewide race against an incumbent uh, uh, sitting governor. Um, I think that there are a lot of Republicans in Oklahoma right now 
that probably see the Republican primary as their biggest obstacle to higher office, not a general election. You know, you know, not just Joey Hoffmeister, but think of David Holt. You know, a lot of people think of David Holt as somebody who will have statewide aspirations at some point, but he's a, a very moderate and in some ways progressive mayor on a lot of issues. His ability to make it out of a Republican primary <clears throat> in, in the 2022 uh, or even, you know, 24, whatever it might be, electorate seems pretty dim um, given the the direction of the Republican Party. So I think this says a lot about you know where the Republican Party is right now. It says a lot about where the Democratic Party is right now, that their strongest candidate for office is somebody who left the Republicans. Um, so it's it is it does seem to shape itself up is that we are going to potentially have a very competitive general election. Uh, mm-hmm. Governor Stitt's approval ratings have been sliding recently. Um, and that's, you know, again, well in advance of the election. A lot of things are going to happen, not not could happen, but are going to happen. Uh, but it's it's setting itself up to be a very competitive election, not just in the Republican primary for governor, where most people have focused in the last couple of election cycles. I think that's debatable, though, when we talk about a competitive general election, when we look at history in Oklahoma over the last 20 years. I mean, Democrats have a very difficult time separating themselves from the National Party and certainly looking at Biden's numbers being upside down now pretty much across the country. Uh, have been from almost day one in Oklahoma. That is a that is a difficult challenge for any any Democrat in any race uh, at the top of the ticket all the way down ballot to uh, be able to successfully uh, separate, differentiate themselves from the Biden administration, from the National Democrat Party, uh, which has been uh, really kind of. Uh, uh, impossible for Dem- Democrats in Oklahoma to be able to navigate around uh, for the last uh, two decades or more. An annual sovereignty symposium held by Oklahoma tribes held nothing back in criticism of Governor Stitt. Many leaders claim the governor has exaggerated the effects of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on McGirt versus Oklahoma. But Cherokee Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. went even further in calling Stitt and his attorney, Gen- John- General John O'Connor, quote, enemies of sovereignty. Ryan, what are your thoughts on these comments? Well, I think that it it I would I would say that it would take it to another level, but I feel like the governor's team has already taken it to that level. I mean, we've we've been at volume 11 for months, if not over a year now uh, in the heated exchange between Governor Stitt and the you know many tribal governments in the state of Oklahoma. I think that Chief Hoskin uh, and his comments were exactly on point, especially whenever he says that the. Um, that you have you know, different parties here and, and two of them are coming to the table, you know, calm and ready to talk. Um, and then another is running around talking about all of this chaos that just really hasn't happened. It just really hasn't uh, borne itself out um, that uh, you know, several of the leaders of tribal governments. But uh, I think Chuck Hoskin uh, talked about this as well, that there is a model uh, for how the tribes can cooperate with non-tribal governments. And we see that in these cross-deputization agreements uh, with local and county governments that have been working for a very long time that have only gotten stronger with time. And those agreements benefit uh, tribal citizens and non-tribal citizens alike. I mean, they have they have improved the quality of life in many parts of Oklahoma, in particular rural Oklahoma. Um, so I, I think that you know when when the governor continues to ramp up this talk, and, and we'll talk just in a moment about how Oklahomans are perceiving this, 
but he, as he continues to ramp this up, what he's doing is he's, he's I think, giving up powerful leverage, uh, which he's given up a lot already, but powerful leverage to sit down at a negotiating table it, to the extent that there are unanswered questions about McGirt. Uh, it's not about going to the Supreme Court and asking the Supreme Court to upend the centuries-old treaty rights uh, of these tribal governments, but rather to sit down with the tribal governments and Congress and come up with solutions. And that's that's really what the tribal governments at the Sovereignty Symposium were you know, asking the governor to do, but I, I don't think that the governor's going to get there, and this will probably be you know continued litigation as long as Governor Stitt is in office. Uh, Neva? Oh, I think that's right. I mean, this annual sovereignty symposium is just uh, another opportunity for all of these uh, uh, all of these tribal leaders to come together and and basically continue this theme. And you know, the theme is that they have this vision of working together, and they believe that uh, that they just have no good partner uh, in this conversation with the governor. And this is, as we know, uh, been almost the battle set from day one. Mm -hmm. And uh, McGirt is just the backdrop to this. Uh, it, it, it certainly, I think, um, when, you, when you continue to hear the amped up rhetoric, I mean, talking about the, um, the, chaos, the chaos campaign that, uh, that they believe is just being infused into this whole debate and conversation around McGirt, um, it, it appears to be never ending. I mean, we don't see much uh, movement uh, to try to change direction, change the course of conversation. So I think we're going to con continue, at least among the leaders, to kind of have this friction and have these kind of conversations every opportunity that they have to, uh, in a public setting, make them. Well, and the, the governor and his handpicked AG seem to be standing alone right now. I mean, you, you've got you've got the tribes, you have Oklahoma's congressional delegation, the Republican uh, you know, Tom uh, Cole uh, is is saying, you know, he's introduced legislation that would allow for compacting for particular tribes in Oklahoma uh, to deal with some of the you know potentially unanswered questions in McGirt. The, the only there's just the governor and and the attorney general just kind of standing out there uh, on their own which is a difficult political position to be in, and one that's just totally unnecessary. The, the governor today, um, you know, while he was sitting in his, we were taping this on Wednesday and we all woke up at 5 a.m. with a tornado warning. And while the, while the governor was sitting, presumably in the tornado shelter at, at the governor's mansion, you know, could have just had a, a, a flash of uh, an epiphany and could wake up and today come out and say, you know what, we're going to sit down, we're going to go to Congress, we're going to outline the unanswered questions, and we're going to come up with solutions. But that's probably not going to happen. But he could do that right now if he wanted to. Well, Governor Stitt says McGirt is the most pressing issue facing Oklahoma. A new poll finds a vast majority of Oklahoma voters disagree. The survey by Amber Integrated found only 23% agreed with Stitt on the importance of McGirt. And the number was low even for Republicans at 29%. Neva, what are your thoughts on these polling results? Well, I think I think this is, as we've talked about, this is an issue that's inside baseball in terms of uh, the public view of it. They are not paying attention. It's an issue that uh, uh, just in uh, is something that doesn't really um, kind of uh, have a focus day to day in their lives. And so I think it's something that is kind of off the board. I mean, you, you're right, uh, Michael, Republicans have a little uptick in terms of that, uh, uh, that poll in terms of the uh, um, 
inclination to side with the governor, more as a Republican-driven issue, perhaps uh, a little bit, uh, Democrats and independents uh, dropping down into, I think it was 17% in that mm -hmm. survey uh, for both of those, uh, both of those. But you know, I think the I think again, it's kind of the bigger conversation of the governor and even the spokesperson for the governor, who uh, I think in responding to this survey, I mean, made the comment something to the effect that uh, McGirt is the biggest issue that's ever hit any state since the Civil War. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty big statement. So, um, so I think this continued uh, effort to make this a driving issue uh, and a focus for the governor, for the attorney general. It'll be interesting to watch as the campaigns really uh, gear up early next year. Will this be something that, that does start to get traction with voters? Will they pay more attention? Uh, will the conversation become more dominant uh, in some of these campaigns? Or will it be something that is just uh, talked about in these more, um, more isolated settings? Not to say that it's not a significant issue that is uh, on the political landscape. It's just will the voters will the voters react to it that way? Ryan. Well, yeah, I, and going back to the governor's spokesperson's comment that said that this is the largest issue facing any state since the Civil War. I mean, that's just, I mean, what a statement. And and I think you know that's part of this playbook that we're in in 2021, going into the 2022 election cycle. It's the it's the the post. Trump world that we live in, where everything is the is the most everything of anything that's ever existed, uh, and and that's it's just what we have to live with. I mean, we we live in in a world of it's it's a hyperbole inside of a hyperbole. Um, but the the real things that most Oklahomans are concerned about, they're concerned about COVID. I, I imagine that that's going to go down uh, as as the uh, as vaccines continue to. Do their job and even the unvaccinated Oklahomans are benefiting from the vaccinated Oklahomans and we see the Delta variant on the on the decline. Oklahomans worried about jobs. We have the governor touts a high uh, or low unemployment rate, but you've got a lot of employers out there in the state of Oklahoma that can't hire people uh, to fill vacancies. Um, you know, we feel that as consumers, you feel that as employers. Everybody is kind of feeling that in Oklahoma right now. ISIS, and I don't see that there's any end to sight. That's not a Oklahoma specific problem. It's a national problem. I, I suspect as uh, we continue along into the fall and into next winter, uh, as we see, you know, you know, the typical cyclical changes with employment on top of this new reality, jobs is going to be a huge issue. Um, and, but then, you know, going back to the the tribal issues that that Neva was talking about, and, and this poll is looking at with with McGirt. I think that that's going to play out in two really important ways in this upcoming election cycle. The first is fundraising. Um, I think that, you know, Joy Hoffmeister, the uh, who right now stands as the putative uh, Democratic nominee, uh, and people can you know, be upset with that or like it or whatever, but it's reality. She's the putative Democratic nominee right now. Um, she's going to benefit tremendously uh, from independent expenditures and direct contributions from tribes. The other thing that I think is going to really play out, and we, we already see this in the legislature, uh, with Republicans in the legislature largely supporting the tribe's position on McGirt and you know, compact negotiations and any, any other issue. And that's because in these rural areas, tribes have a very important political voice. They're very influential. They're the, they're the reason that they've got a new fire truck. It used to be the legislature that would help out with that stuff, but they don't anymore. So if you need a new fire truck, you go to the tribe. If you need a new ambulance, you go to the tribe. You got, you know, you got a new hospital in your, in your district. Well, it's probably not because 
the city built it, it's because a tribe built it and it's benefiting everybody. So I think in these rural areas of the state, you're going to see not just the, the money of the tribes play on these elections, but you're going to see their elector, their just like their, you know, you know, um, you know, on the on the ground presence uh, and, you know, kind of retail politics uh, play out in a way that may not mean that the Democratic nominee wins rural areas in the state, but it's going to cut into that. And if you're a Republican in Oklahoma, you have to win rural, rural precincts big uh, because otherwise you're in trouble. Two new petitions set to begin gathering signatures would allow for a vote to change the Oklahoma Constitution to legalize the use of recreational marijuana for adults. To put the issue on the ballot in 2022, advocates will need to gather 178,000 signatures in 90 days. Ryan, this isn't the first time supporters have tried this, so what are the chances it will work this time? Well, in, in full disclosure, I'm one of the folks that have tried this in the past, and I was, you know, uh, and I've been involved in, in you know, uh, drug legalization uh, and, and drug law reform for, for a long time now, dating back to 780 and 788, um, and then was a proponent of state question 806, which was withdrawn. It would have created an adult use system uh, of marijuana, but was withdrawn in light of the pandemic last year. Um, I can tell you that this is a good idea with terrible execution uh, with these two ballot measures. Um, the, the, uh, I think that the biggest uh, mistake here, and it's one that I made uh, with state question 806 and would not repeat, and that's to put these things in the Constitution. Uh, these, these things do not belong in the Constitution. I made that mistake. I'm glad that we had to withdraw and, uh, and didn't move forward with that. But there are a myriad of issues here. Uh, not the least of which is that at some point the federal government is going to step in and change the dynamic with, with which uh, federal law treats marijuana in the United States, whether that's in two years or 10 years, it's going to happen. Right now, Oklahoma is in an incredible market position um, to take advantage of federal legalization if it happens in the next couple of years. And, you know, we're the, the kind of economic boom that we've seen, the revenue boom that we've seen um, could only increase. But if we put it in our constitution and it makes it very difficult for us to be flexible and adapt, that's going to be a real negative for Oklahoma. The other thing that this does is it puts some of the worst aspects of the current medical marijuana system in uh, in the Constitution, it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to change at some point. And that includes things that drive testing prices up in Oklahoma that make it more, that create an incentive for people to not test their product the way that it should and creates an opportunity for illicit market uh, actors to be able to offer product at a lower price. This would also jeopardize track and trace or seed to sale the way that we um, monitor and, and keep track of legal marijuana in the state of Oklahoma in an effort to uh, drive out illicit actors. That still hasn't even gone online in Oklahoma yet because of litigation uh, that, that's held it up. But when it does, it's going to be one of the most important tools that regulators and law enforcement have. This, you know, these ballot measures would make that nearly impossible. So um, I think, you know, good idea, terrible execution. And you know, there's, a, there's a chance, uh, I know that I'm working with some folks that are, that are looking at a potential uh, ballot measure that would do something. Um, but, you know, I think that Oklahomans will see through this and, and say that, you know, we want this, but we want it done right. Neva. Well, and I think, I think you're exactly right, Ryan. I mean, you start talking about anything, putting something in the constitution, it's an uphill battle. I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen that in, in uh, recent uh, state questions. Uh, it's just difficult to convince the voters uh, that there's a need. And when you start looking at, at, a, at an issue like, um, 
um, marijuana, recreational or medical, and and all of the things that the, that they're kind of laying out in these uh, in these two specific petitions. I think you do have a uh, a sentiment, I think, growing in the state that there are problems. I mean, that the lack of enforcement uh, it, with the industry, the fact that there is so much, uh, uh, there, at least there's a view that there is too much uh, illegal activity going on in terms of grows and, and other things. Um, that That is something that kind of gets out in, among, among the folks uh, in whatever community or county that they're in, that they're seeing this. I mean, obviously we've seen the tremendous uh, just uh, number of licenses for uh, uh, cannabis patients. I think the number's like 375,000 plus uh, now in the state. Um, everyone knows that we have, uh, you know, several thousand dispensaries across the state, but some people would say you see one on every corner. Um, but it is it is something where I think when we start looking at from the legislative standpoint, I mean, all of the, all of the issues that are there in terms of uh, just how to manage and how to deal with this, uh, those are the issues that I think people sense and feel something needs to be done about it and done sooner rather than later. Now, the issue, that's one dimension to it. The full-blown, do we want to go to recreational marijuana? I think that's a whole different subject. And I think uh, that's a little harder sell, I think, even with voters. I haven't seen recent polling, mm -hmm. but uh, in the past, it's been still uh, it's been still a challenge, I think, to make the case that we should just go that direction. And part of that is just looking at what's happened in other states. Well, and I, you know, Neva, I have seen recent polling um, and, and statewide poll does show that there is strong support for adult use marijuana in Oklahoma across the board. I mean, you have, you have strong support that that uh, you know goes across party lines. And one of the reasons that I like working in uh, in mar marijuana policy is because you do you know have these uh, you know motley crews of, of political coalitions that come together to work on these things, and it's it's fun. I mean, you got the far right and the far left, um, you know, sitting down and, and agreeing on stuff. Um, so, I mean, the, the numbers are there to do something, uh, even as early as 2022. Um, I can tell you based on these poll numbers that if state question 788, state question that created Oklahoma's medical marijuana program, if it were on the ballot right now, it would pass by a higher percentage than it did mm -hmm. in 2018. So there is strong support there. There's a lot of work that the legislature still needs to do. I think that the legislature is realizing, though, that absent full adult use, um, we are losing every day millions of dollars in revenue to the state of Texas. You know, Texas is a decade behind Oklahoma uh, in marijuana policy. And the sooner we can go to adult use, the sooner we can capture all of the all that money that would come in from North Texas, especially into Oklahoma to, to purchase cannabis. Um, and and you know, that's that's an enormous amount of revenue that the state of Oklahoma should be enjoying right now. But we've we've been giving it up. So the numbers are there, but this is this is not the way to do it. Voters in Edmond approved a measure to raise sales taxes to acquire new land. Approved by more than 81 percent of voters, the quarter cent increase for 2022 only will for 2022 only will raise five million dollars for land near Hayford Park. Neva, what are your thoughts on this vote? Well, I think. Uh I think this is a case where a community that's had kind of this ongoing debate and and a lot of controversy, including lawsuits filed uh, related to this this uh, this land uh, around uh, around the existing uh, Hayford Park. I think I think the 
passage with such an overwhelming uh, percentage by the Edmund voters that they say, look, let's let's pass this. Let's have this tax for a year. Let's buy this property outright and uh, um, and then have, you know, have this issue kind of put to rest once and for all and also have the opportunity to add the 22 acres to the park and to have something that benefits uh uh, all of the citizens of Edmond. So I, I thought it was a proactive uh, effort to address the situation once and for all. I think uh, the fact that they convinced the voters in such uh, in such overwhelming numbers, as you say, 80 plus percent. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, in, in this day and age on any uh, ballot measure, uh, that is uh, very impressive. And so I think uh, I, I think when you uh, when you see when you see the effort being made in a community to do something like this uh, in a very specific manner, um, you have to applaud their success. Ryan, conservative Edmund voting for a tax increase? Well, that's what I was getting ready to say, <laughs> Neva. I mean, it's not just that it was 80% uh, in favor of something. It was 80% in favor of a tax increase in Edmund. Now, now I'll grant you that the political demographics of Edmund are changing. And, and that may be some of the underlying issues with, with this ballot measure is that, you know, as as Edmund grows and it is, you know, less the, uh, you know, the the wealthier, more conservative uh, enclave to the north of Oklahoma City and, and becomes, you know, more of, uh, you know, an economically and politically diverse uh, suburb, um, you know, that these questions are going to come up. And you had on one side, you had the, the NIMBYs, the not in my backyard folks that, you know, that don't want more. Uh, traffic. They don't want you know, multifamily housing. They don't want all these things. Um, and th they were probably willing to support a tax increase. And on the other hand, you had folks that, uh, you know, wanted this housing, but they didn't necessarily want the, you know, the the many mansions that were going to be built there. So um, as as Neva said, there was there was a huge uh, support for this, but this has been going on for a very long time. There's mm -hmm. been great coverage of this by you know, Trey Savage over at Nondoc. Uh, you know, you know, good for them for covering you know, local political issues. But unfortunately, as is often the case, you have a, a swell of of uh, sentiment and then very low turnout. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yes. if you if you want if you want to be involved in politics and you really want to see something happen, get involved at the local level uh, because, I mean, this this is just a case where. You know, the the kind of we, we're talking about some of the political rules in Oklahoma, you know, Democrats can't win a statewide offices earlier. Um, you know, those things get turned on their head in local elections and local politics. And so your opportunity to really you know, dig in and then see something done and you're dealing with such a small turnout that you really can shape uh, an election in a way that you necessarily can't with or you can't necessarily with a, a, a countywide election or a statewide election for sure. I think it's interesting when when this quarter cent sales tax um, had a defined time frame. I mean, a year right. uh, with a specific reason for it to occur. So I think when the voters are presented uh, with with something like this, yes, a tax increase, but a tax increase that they know how much it is, they know how long it's going to be on for, and they know the specific uh, outcome in terms of what what is being done with that money. I think that we're going to see more communities, um, you know, really move move this direction. And the bar is high for the community to be able to make the case that uh, here's what we're doing, that there's going to be transparency. It's going to be above board um, because once you once you uh, breach that trust with the voters, it becomes uh, uh, even more difficult uh, down the road 
to be able to overcome that. So um, it's it's a challenge with any tax. When you start talking tax increase, you're right. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Edmond, Oklahoma, or any other community in our state. It it means that people are going to pay attention. It doesn't translate to massive turnout. You're right, mm -hmm. and we talk about that all the time. We we are not good voters by and large in the state of Oklahoma. We could do so much better. But I think informing the public and having this discussion broadly out there to where people at least have the conversation and hear the conversation and have a have an opportunity to easily engage in that conversation. I think that's the key. And Eva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Our programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.